We are continuing today in our series in the book of Genesis. And today we're going to look at chapter 11, what's commonly known as the Tower of Babel. And I've really decided to title this sermon, I Can Do It Myself. Uh, That's because that's a common phrase for us. We all know what it means. Something that we hear, I think, if we are raising children, maybe even when we're raising husbands or wives or whatever. I can do it myself. You know, there's, listen, there's all kinds of kids' books called I Can Do It Myself. There's all kinds of talk around that phrase. Uh, we hear it quite a bit uh, in our culture. And listen, we, we intentionally teach our kids to be independent in some ways. Now, that's a great idea when it comes to tying shoes or going to the bathroom or, you know, all kinds of other things where we want our kids to really and truly be independent. But while we're teaching them independence for some things... We need to realize our dependence and teach them dependence on God for other things. Listen, I don't expect anybody to you know, wake up in the morning and spend 10 minutes praying about what color of socks to put on and asking for God to direct them and help them to know what color of socks. But there's just some things that we can do independently in a sense of consulting with God. But there are many, many other things that uh, we need to be constantly in tune with him. Uh, and, and connected with him to, to kind of be in touch uh, with his will and his desire for our lives. I want to share a little bit about a, a kind of a new movement that's emerging from California, of course. It's kind of a combination of philosophy, faith, and science, and it's known as transhumanism. Transhumanism. The reason I want to share that with you is because I don't want you to think that this story, which happened a long, long time ago, uh, is unique for them. Because just while we were going to see in this uh, story of this tower uh, that these people decide to build on their own, we can see that there's a certain amount of uh, independence, uh, even from the norm and what's, you know, kind of uh, culturally understood about things uh, in our society. People think that way. So this is a combination of philosophy, faith, and science. And there's an article in the Futurist magazine describing transhumanism as radical, this quote, Radical life extension and life expansion. Those devoted to the movement perceive the human body as a work in progress. They believe that evolution took humanity this far, and only technology will take humanity even further. As for sickness, aging, and death, those who follow transhumanism call all three unnecessary hindrances that we have the right and the responsibility to overcome. Our bodies, frail and unpredictable, are just another problem to solve. The goal of the World Transhumanist Association, yes, there is one, uh, is to transcend all human limitations. They believe the body is a machine and the brain is a computer. With quickly advancing technology, man can be, quote, upgraded. Transhumanists are convinced that one day artificial limbs will be more efficient than real limbs and people will have them replaced uh, just as a choice. Our brains will be vastly superior too. Researchers have theorized that Einstein's brain had no gap between the two frontal lobes. Transhumanists hope to use technology in the future uh, in such a way that this advantage can be engineered for everyone. Wouldn't that be cool if we were all Einsteins? It probably isn't surprising to learn that transhumanists uh, are also staunch supporters of cryonics. Uh, Ralph Merkel, who's a board member of the Alcor Life Extension Foundation, says, quote, people think cryonics is freezing the dead. That's incorrect. That's not what we do. We're freezing the terminally ill. 
We want a second opinion from a future doctor. And so in the future, they hope to unleash the power of nanotechnology to repair failed organs and dying cells. They're convinced that these billion of a meter robots uh, will be able to go into a deceased body, repair the dead cells, and reboot the brain. They insist, quote, once we get the technology in place, dying goes away. It just won't happen anymore. Now, there's an inventor named Ray Kurzweil who forecasts that right around the year 2030, uh, cybernetic implants will greatly augment human intelligence and all the world's common diseases will have been cured. By 2040, we will see the rise of an artificial intelligence that is thousands of times smarter than all of humanity combined. So if you think the robots are going to take over, they just might. The overwhelming majority of transhumanists are atheists. Still, Tyler Emerson, a leader in the hum transhuman transhumanist movement says, for those of us who don't believe in God, this is a sort of religion. Another leader adds, every myth on this planet tells people that the purpose of life is death. It rationalizes death. It helps them deal with death. Every temple is a tomb and every tomb is a temple. If you have a set of technologies that radically changes the meaning of death, then that has repercussions for religion. These questions touch on our very humanity. Now, transhumanism is just the latest in a series of challenges to God's sovereign lordship of the universe. The battle that began in the Garden of Eden between the serpent and Adam and Eve led to God destroying everything with a worldwide flood, saving only Noah and his family, and, of course, the creatures on the ark, the, the animals. But just four generations after Noah, we're going to see that Noah's descendants began building a kingdom that was to a challenge to the sovereign kinship, kingship of God himself. We're going to see here that like these uh, transhumanists, uh, we're going to see that they believe they could do something that is vastly superior than what really is possible. Let's read Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. We'll read it all the way through, and then we'll come back and read it just a little bit at a time and talk about it. Here's what it says. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, behold, they are one people and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they pr propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. It's quite an interesting story. There's been a lot of things um, said about it, preached about it, taught about it, um, that are maybe a little uh, uh, superimposed on the text. I want us to look at, at, at really just... Uh, look at the text, observe what it says, and really focus on that today. When we see the first principle is this, that man's independence 
and self-sufficiency cause them to build a tower. Look at verses 1 through 4. Again, it says, Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, listen carefully to what they said, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Now, a lot of people wonder what this looks like, and we uh, are lucky enough to find a photograph of uh, that. I'm just kidding, there's not a photograph. That's an artist's rendition. It's uh, one of those uh, ziggurats. It's like that, a tower kind of like that is what they suspect it probably was. Um, They had that kind of technology back then. Uh, But let's get to the point. doesn't matter what it looks like. Let's get to the point. Okay, Noah and his family had just gotten off the ark, and they were speaking the same language. There was uh, Noah and his wife and his three sons in there. They communicated really well, as much as a family can, right? Now, this, this term, from the east, they came from the east. It can also be translated, they went eastward. They went eastward. Now, this is always a phrase that means moving away from God. It's kind of like if we said, hey, it went, man, that thing went downward fast. That thing went south. We may not really mean that it's going in the direction of south, the opposite of north. It just went downhill. Well, here in the scripture, when it says somebody moved eastward and they moved east, it means they're moving away from where God was. Remember this downward spiral that took place. Adam and Eve created perfect in the garden, a perfect place. Just one rule, just one law. Don't touch and eat the fruit or don't eat the fruit that God had had, uh, placed there. And uh, they broke that law with their disobedience. Now, now, you know, all they did was really eat some fruit, right? I mean, it wasn't that bad. It wasn't terrible. It wasn't awful, was it? Well, it was disobedience to God. And so, yes, it was. But just one generation later, their sons, Cain, kills Abel. He kills his brother. Now, that's a pretty far cry downward, southward. And then it continues just a few generations later, Lamech took on multiple wives, perverting what God had created in marriage, and he brags to his wives about killing a man for hitting him. So God says, I'm just going to wipe, I'm just going to wipe these people out, man. They are going so far downward, so fast, I'm just going to wipe them out. But here's Noah and his family, he saves them, and now he you know, they get out of the ark, they start having children, and just four generations later, here we are with this group of people that say, hey, listen, we're basically characterized as moving away from God. We're characterized as moving away from God. And so that's what's happening when this says they're moving eastward or they're, they're uh, from the east. That's what God wants us to know here, that these people were moving away from him. When they say, let's build a city, Is there anything wrong with that, deciding to build a city? Is there anything terribly horrible about building a city? Probably not, except God hadn't told them to build a city. They weren't told they had to build a city. They just chose to do it on their own, and we're going to see that this is kind of their thinking process for everything. Then they say these words, let's make a name for ourselves. Let's make a name for ourselves. Listen, they weren't concerned about making a name for God. They weren't concerned at all about his desires or what he wanted. 
they, this was all about them, guys. This was all and completely about them. Hey, let's make a name for ourselves. Let's build this city and this tower so that generations from now, people talk about us. They say, man, were they incredible? Look what they built. That was awesome. Let's make a name for ourselves. Listen, when every time we're trying to, anytime we see ourselves or hear ourselves kind of saying, let's make a name for ourselves, we're, we're going off the path. Listen, they didn't want anything to do with God. They were going to do this without him. They were worshiping their own independence, their own self-sufficiency, the fact that they could make decisions and do things apart from God. Nowhere does the text mention them ever thinking or saying, do this with God's help. It it, it was just, they were going to do it. Now, here's the thing. This was not only their plan. They weren't even asking God to bless their plan. Now, we do that sometimes, don't we? There's, there's like three levels of plans. There's the best plan, which is God's plan and our dependence on him uh, to fulfill it. Now, I understand the fact that we don't always directly know God's plan. Uh, we have to discern it sometimes. Uh, if you're considering taking a new job or moving into a new home or making some decisions like that, uh, God doesn't always write it down in the sky for us. He doesn't make it clear as a, you know, he does try to direct us and lead us, but we have to be in tune with that. We have to be in touch with that. But we are kind of discerning and we don't always know it directly. But here's the point. If we're seeking him, he almost always directs us either through circumstances or through our own hearts trying to lead us. But they weren't interested in God's plan. They had their own plan. Okay? So, so the best thing is, hey, we need to find out what God's plan is and then just execute it and ask for God's help. There's kind of a second level, which isn't very good, and it's, hey, I'm going to do my own plan. I'm going to decide what I want to do. And by the way, we do this a lot. I'm going to decide what I want to do. Now, God, will you please bless me? We say, hey, I'm going to decide to do this. I don't really know what God wants, but I'm going to do this thing. I've chosen this. I want to do this. Now, God, will you help me? And then the third thing, which is the worst, is uh, I'm going to do my own thing, and I don't care if God's going to help me or not. I'm going to do my own thing, and I don't need God's help. I'm just independent of him. That's kind of where they were. But I want to talk about this a little bit because I want us to kind of get an idea in our head about how we approach issues of life. It's important. Uh, many times when people will come to me and they'll say, hey, Pastor Michael, I'm sorry, but uh, we're, we're moving uh, you know, across the country. Our family's moving in a couple of months across the country. I'll say to them, wow, that's, that's a big move. That's a big deal. You got kids in school. You got roots here. You got family here. That's a big thing to do. Why are you doing that? And they say, well, you know, this is a, a much better job, almost double the money. We just can't pass it up. I want to say to them, I don't say to them always, but I want to say to them, and I sometimes do, hey, is, is that the only reason you're going? I mean, is that why you make a big life decision? Because there's money in it? You see, there's no, there's no mention of God. There's no mention of God's plan for them. There's no mention of God's directing them or pursuing them in that. It's just about making money. Now, folks, we got to be careful that we don't make decisions apart from God's will and God's plan for our lives just for other reasons. We need to be careful about that. Now, when they make that decision, one of the things that I ask them is, so have you found a church yet there? And they'll say, well, we've been looking for a house, and you know, we've gone there a couple times. We we're looking for a house. We're looking for where the grocery store is. We want to know where all these things are at. I'm like, first thing you should be doing is looking for a good church. I mean, if, if, if God is your Lord... If Jesus is your Lord and God is your Father, 
you should be looking for a church. You should be finding a place. And so these folks were making these decisions totally and completely on their own, uh, totally and completely separate from God, and we sometimes do that same thing. Now, the phrase in this passage, they're going to build a tower with its top in the heavens, that is a pretty uh, elusive phrase. Some people uh, believe it means uh, to become equal or godlike, but there's really nothing else in the passage that, that supports that. Uh, I think it makes them look worse, but it's not really directly in that passage. It all may, also may mean that there's some form of worship at the top, a tower up in the heavens, uh, but we don't really know that. It, doesn't, it may just mean uh, a phrase like, man, we're going we're gonna to build this thing to the clouds. That doesn't necessarily mean we're going to build it until we are even with clouds. Uh, and so this phrase is a little bit uh, elusive to us. Uh, but no matter how you view it, uh, because they're doing it on their own accord and by their own power, it's not good. It's not, any of these understandings are bad. And then they also said, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Let's build this wonderful city, this huge tower, so we can make a name for ourselves. We can be really popular. And we can just stay here and live here for the rest of our lives all together. Now, that doesn't sound like a bad thing. It's, it's fellowship, right? But, but this was in direct contradiction to God's command. Remember, when Noah got off the ark, he was told to go forth and multiply. And Adam was told not only to go forth and multiply, but he was also told to fill the whole earth and subdue it. God's plan for mankind was to multiply and spread out. Spread out. Multiply numerically. Multiply geographically. Kind of like the gospel, isn't it? When we look at the book of Acts. And so it was against God's pattern to just all collect in one place and stay there. They decided they wanted to stay together and they were going to do their own thing. And they didn't care. They didn't care what God had planned for them. They'd made their decision of what they were going to do. So just some thoughtful questions I want you to think about. Do we ever attempt big ventures without God's help? or according to God's plan? Do we choose to do things in direct contradiction to his known and expressed will? If we're honest, we probably would say yes to all those things at some point in our lives. But we have to be careful, folks. We have to be careful that we aren't making decisions and choosing to do things that are in direct contradiction to God's word for our lives. I don't want to give the impression that God's will is this teeny tiny line that you have to figure out and you're always in this constant battle of, ooh, am I in God's will today? Am I, am I driving the right direction to work? Am I, should I go this other way? Okay, it's not that, okay? We swing the pendulum way too far sometimes. It's really the fact is, when I'm making decisions and living my life, am I asking God to direct me? Am I constantly open to God's will and God's way? Am I constantly in a position of being yielded to what he wants? And if he just gives me a little clue, I'll do it. I think that's when God directs us the most. We see that man's independence and self-sufficiently caused him to build this tower. Then God inspects man's attempt at immortality and independence. Look in verses 5 and 6. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. 
And the Lord said, behold, they are one people and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. It's a lot of stuff in these two verses. I love how this section starts out, and the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. Now, if you just look at that phrase on the surface, it's, it sounds almost like, hey, God was over somewhere else doing something, and he decided he'd come over here and take a look at it. Well, we know God is way bigger than that. Nothing escapes his eye. He sees everything all at the same time. And so it's really almost a little bit of sarcasm, it's almost a little bit of mockery. Let's pretend like this is the tower. And for this demonstration, I'll be God. But don't, don't, don't read into that, okay? And it's almost like God saying, oh, let's go over here and look at the big tower they made. Oh, look at that. Wow, isn't that impressive? You think about God's, think about God's vastness. Think about the fact that God is everywhere all the time. And, and how he's going to come and see this big tower that they made. Like it's some kind of impressive thing. He's not impressed. And it's a puny little tower. They may think it's a big deal. He thinks it's a puny little tower. Listen, God doesn't have to go somewhere to see something. He's, he's everywhere. It's not like he had to come and peer at what they did. Now God says, because they're all of one mind and they can easily communicate, there's nothing they won't try. He's not saying here, they can accomplish anything now. He's not really saying, and nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible. He's not saying nothing's impossible for them. They can really accomplish anything and everything. He's not saying that at all. What he's saying is, now, because they've built this tower, they're going to think they can do anything. They're just going to think that whatever they decide to do apart from me, they're just going to do it. Now, this comes back to one of my pet peeves is people telling their children, you can do anything you want to do in life. No, you can't. Don't tell your kids that. Your kids cannot spread their arms and fly around the room. They can't do it. Don't tell them they can do anything. Tell them they can do anything that God wants them to do. Tell them they can do anything that God has planned for them. That's true. Okay? And so here we see that, that they're just going to, God's saying, hey, they're going to they're gonna not only be farther apart from me, but by giving man free will, he's turned into this self-sufficient goofball who's going to try and accomplish anything and everything with no dependence on God or even consideration of God and his will. He was concerned that mankind would continue this downward spiral again. And I just, I, I just want you to see these patterns that are being created already. They're patterns that we continue to live out in our own lives and with others. It's this pattern that, that when we become dependent, when we become in charge of our own lives, it just downward spirals. Whether you're talking about one life or a culture or a period of time, the more in, in independence we have of God, the more our lives spiral downward. And God's looking at them going, what in the world? Now they're going to think they can do anything they want to do. What are we going to do with these people? What are we going to do with these people? Well, God passes judgment mixed with grace on man's attempt to be self-sufficient. 
Look at verses seven through nine. He says, come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel because there the Lord confused the language and them over the face of all the earth. Since they wouldn't disperse themselves, since they wouldn't go and fulfill God's command to, to multiply and fill the earth, God decided to do it for them. Now, folks, this is something we need to listen to. It's something we need to understand. If God has a plan for our life, it's always best to get on board and be a part of what's going on. It's always best to, to embrace it, be a part of it. Because if you fight it, guess what? He may just force it on us. And it's never easier when he does that. So he gives them different languages so they couldn't understand each other anymore. He moved them away from each other and actually physically dispersed them. And so they said, well, let's give up. Give up building the city. Give up building the tower. We can't do that now. We can't even understand one another. While he caused them this great confusion, which put an end to their self-sufficiency, listen, this judgment was measured with grace. I want you to see that. I want you to see this characteristic as who God is. When he decided to wipe out all of mankind, he had grace and mercy on Noah and his family. When he decides now to confuse men and stop their self-sufficiency, he decides to just disperse them, leave them alive, and share grace and mercy with them. He didn't kill them like he did in the flood. He simply gave them consequences that led men to fulfill God's previous commands. He did that so they would do what he wanted them to do. And we're going to see that that now as he separated them from one another, some of them are going to follow him. Some of them won't, like always, but some of them will. And so this is really a very beneficial thing for them. Now, it's interesting, as we look at words and we look at the scriptures, uh, whenever words are repeated in a passage, we want to look at them carefully, we want to see what they mean. Uh, and I want, to, I want to point out a word that's very interesting in this passage, because I think it's it's a, a, an interesting thing throughout the whole scripture. It's the word C-O-M-E, come. Twice the word is used for man to speak to man against God. They're, they're teaming up. Hey, hey, come, let us, come over here. Let's make some bricks. Let's do our thing. And then come over here. Let's build a city and a tower. Let's do that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna invite you in to do this. And so they invite each other in to kind of uh, live apart from the creator live apart from God, but then God uses the same word to speak amongst the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, who we saw on week one were all involved in the creation. He uses the same word when he says, hey, let's go together and confuse man. Let's go down there and confuse them with different languages. He uses the word come. Come, let's do this. And so it's an invitation uh, for the Trinity in and of himself to come and, and do something to man. But the Bible uses this same word in a third way. That's a really important way. And that is it's an invitation from God to man. Look at Isaiah 118. 
The Bible says, come now. That same word, come now. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. We just sang about this in that last song we sang today. We just sang about this. And that's an invitation from God. Come, let's reason together. Let's think this through. You have got sin in your life but I'll make it white as snow. It looks red like crimson, but I'll make it white as snow. Look at Matthew 11, 28. Jesus says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. If you'll just come to me, come to me, it's an invitation. Come to me who are laboring and heavy laden. You've got these terrible burdens. I'll take them off. I will help you carry them. And lastly, Revelation 22, 17. And let the one who is thirsty come. It's another invitation. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Listen, if you're here today and you've never given your life to Christ, you've never crossed the line of faith and said, I'm deciding today to receive Christ as my Savior. I'm deciding to accept the gift of Christ in my life. If you've never done that today, I want to invite you today to do that to listen to these verses, to come and and make the decision to make him the Lord of your life. Your sins can be washed away. Your burdens can be lifted. Your spiritual thirst can be quenched. Folks, God is here today inviting us with that word to come and be a part of his family. And while that is easy to do, it is very costly because it costs our whole life. But it's easy in the fact that God, who who sees us, how we really are as sinners, we're just like these people who want to build a city all on our own. We want to build a tower all on our own. We want to do things all on our own. We want to make a name for ourselves at times. God sees our sinfulness, and he knows that we can't do anything about our sinfulness. We can't just stop sinning on our own. We just don't have the capacity, the capability of doing it. It's in our DNA, as we saw from Adam and Eve. And so he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to pay for our sins, to live a perfect life and then sacrifice it in exchange for our life. Yesterday we celebrated my daughter's birthday and I was thinking about this as we were preparing for it. We bought her a gift. She didn't earn it. She didn't do anything for it. We just love her, and we gave it to her. And that gift sat in our house. And when she came, we handed it to her, and she took it. She didn't do anything for it, but she took it, and she opened it. And hopefully she'll use it and wear it because it's hers now. Folks, I want us to understand that what God has done for us is given us the gift of his son, Jesus Christ. He's right there. All we have to do is accept it. All we have to do is say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I can't do anything about it. And I accept the gift that you gave me, your son Jesus, on the cross to pay for my sins. I turn away from my sins and I turn to you. And I ask you to help me never be self-sufficient again. Help me to always depend on you for the rest of my life. And in that moment, folks, the Bible says we cross the line of faith. We get born into God's family. The Holy Spirit comes into us. We are a new creation Everything has changed. We are able to have lives that sometimes spiral upwards because God is in them, 
because God wants to use us and do things in and through us. But when we rely on ourselves alone, it seems like things just always spin downward. I want to invite you today to put your faith and trust in Jesus if you haven't done that. And you can do that many different ways. There's that card that uh, Ilea mentioned at the beginning of the service there in front of you. You can just check those boxes on the back. You can do the same thing on the app. You can talk to one of the pastors or one of the leaders around here before you leave today. We'll help you. We love you. We want to help you on your spiritual journey. Don't leave not knowing Jesus and and living your life independent and self-sufficient. That's nothing but but problems in your life and a downward spiral, uh, always moving farther and farther from God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this lesson. God, help us to live lives that are completely and totally dependent on you. Lord, we know that you have great plans for us. We know that you have a great future plan for us. And so, Father, we pray that you would help us to be motivated consistently, constantly, uh, to just be reliant on you, to yield to you, to ask for your help, to ask for your direction. Guide and lead us, Father. Uh, Help us to see those things and then to live in them. And Lord, if there's anyone here today who doesn't yet know you, I pray that they would put their faith and trust in you before they leave here today, that they would cross that line of faith and see their life begin to take an upward turn. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for your mercy and your grace uh, that always uh, are a part, even in your judgment and your discipline, a part of who you are. And Father, we just, uh, we love you. And we thank you for letting us know you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.